0: Step three. Got it. Oh, how good is Steph Curry on one, James? LeBron oh, drops Two. the U-Hill. range put you deep in. It's time for Under the Hood Basketball Pod with Jay Hood. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood Basketball Podcast. Glad that you're with me. We are brought to you by Manscaped, Manscaped.com. Hey, use the promo code hood and get 20% off. Again, manscaped.com. You know you need some help guys down there with below the waist grooming and grooming ticks you know, around the, the nose, <laughs> you know, in the ears. You know you need that help. Manscaped.com, use my promo code hood and save 20%. I've got three things that's on my mind regarding basketball, and we're going to hear from our guy Darnell Mayberry from TheAthletic.com and get his thoughts because Darnell covers the Bulls and the NBA for TheAthletic.com. We'll get his thoughts about what's going on with this Bulls team. But first, let me give you three things that's on my mind. Number one. Let's take a look at the 2023 matchups. Eastern Conference, the Chicago Bulls will take on the Toronto Raptors Wednesday at 6 o'clock on ESPN. Atlanta will take on Miami. Those are the play-in games. That's seven and eight, the play-in games. And the game three winner, the 9-10, will take on the loser. And the Western Conference, we got Oklahoma City against the Pelicans and Minnesota against the Lakers. Interesting play-in games, including the Bulls, which we'll get into in just a moment. The Eastern Conference postseason play-in seeds. So here's what it looks like. Bucks are one. Celtics, 76ers are third, Cavs are fourth, Knicks are five, Nets are six. And then the Heat and the Hawks are 7-8, and eight, and then 9-10, the Raptors and the Bulls. In the Western Conference, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Sacramento Kings, the number three seed. Shout-out to Mike Brown. Big ups to him. That Kings team is in the playoffs for the first time in, like, 15 or 16 years. The Suns are four. Clippers are five. And come to find out, by the way, in the first round, Paul George will not be available because of injury. And water's wet. The Warriors are six. Lakers and Timberwolves are the 7, 8, and the Pelicans and the Thunder are the 9 and 10. Okay, so along with what the seeds are, let's talk about Bulls basketball. You talk about terminally average Bulls basketball. Inconsistency became the Bulls' defining characteristic. Chicago's longest win streak, according to Darnell Mayberry from The Athletic, lasted only three games. The Bulls had five chances to construct a longer winning streak. Their average margin of defeat in the fourth game was always 15.8 points a game. I mean, whether it's focus or desire or lack of effort, who knows why the Bulls cannot sustain their stretches of play. How about this? The team's defensive rating shot up from 23rd last season to 5th this season without Caruso and without Patrick Beverly, who arrived in the midseason crafting a top-five defense for the Bulls. That's the most impressive feat for the season. If there's anything that's interesting about this Bulls team is that they got better defensively. And this is why they're in the play-in tournament right now. They had a 14-9 record after the All-Star break. And now they get a chance to play in the postseason. So my whole point with this Bulls team is this. Is that they are what they are, but that's not good enough for you or for me as a Bulls fan. Just being average isn't good enough. It's good that they were able to play better in the second half of the season, the all-star break. But again, here's the thing. With Levine and DeRozan, as well as Vucevic, all three of those guys are terrific stars. They're terrific players. But the bottom line is, is that if you don't have a lead guard that can get them going to put them in the right spots, it is what it is. Like Patrick Beverly comes in, he has some good games as a Chicago Bull. That is for sure. He brings an edge to the team. He's loud. He's from Chicago. He's from the west side. He's going to tell you to your face if you're not playing well or not. And Pat is not the best player in the league, but you like his leadership in there because I've always thought the Bulls have been so passive-aggressive over the years. So passive-aggressive where you know they may not say anything face-to-face to to one another. They may not have a whole bunch of meetings. They just go out there and play ball and just see what happens. That's not good enough. Someone has to be able to stir the pot for this team. Patrick Beverly has been that. He's one of the reasons why, again, the Bulls are 14-9 since the All-Star break. So – Hats off to the Bulls. I really believe they're going to beat Toronto on Wednesday and then try your luck. We'll see what happens. But what I can expect is the unexpected from this Bulls team. I expect them to be in the postseason because that's why I predicted. I can't go back on it now. 40 and 42. I mean, it has been an arduous season if you're a Bulls fan watching this uh, night after night. I think they could beat the Toronto Raptors on Wednesday. We'll see what happens. Number two. You know what's bananas, Jay Moore? You know what's bananas? The MVP race has been bananas. So I will give you my top five who I think should be the MVP if it's my official ballot. But let me just talk about this just for a second. So whether it's J.J. Redick on one side or Kendrick Perkins on the other side or Stephen A. Smith on another side or Chris Mad Dog Roos on another side, this whole thing should not come down to race. It's, an MV- it's the MVP award. It's not the MVP slash race. But this is what it has materialized into where why can't Jokic win his third MVP? You know why? Because that would put him in a whole st- different stratosphere of great players in the NBA. Is Nikola Jokic worthy of being a three-time MVP? Well, I know that he's a great player, that's for sure. I've talked to people within the Nuggets organization or around the Nuggets organization and say, this guy is an amazing athlete. He may not look much to you. All I know is that when I watch him play basketball, from the foul line down, where he's hitting threes, whether he's foul line extended, hitting shots, where he's always in the right spot for rebounding, he's always in the right spot to be able to make others better, he is fantastic. And I will outline how great Jokic has been. But it's not to say if Jokic... If Jokic becomes MVP, does that mean that he's better than Jordan? Does that make him better than any other multi-time MVP? No. Does he better than Steve Nash? Eh, Probably not. But the point is, though, is that I have my MVP. Jokic is worthy of it. There's no question. He's in my top two, but he's not one. But let's talk about uh, Jokic just for a second. Then I'm going to go on to someone who I think should be the MVP. So I was going through the, the ringer.com, and they were talking about Denver. The Denver Nuggets have been in first place since December 20th. When Jokic plays, he raises his team unlike any other player with the Nuggets, obliterating everything in their path. The Nuggets outscore opponents by 13 points per 100 possessions when Jokic is on the court, which is the highest number in the league. Overall, he is plus 645 plus 645, which is 164 points higher than any other nugget on the team. Denver has outscored its opponents by at least 10 points in 41 games with Jokic on the floor. I'll read that again. Denver has outscored its opponents by at least 10 points in 41 games with Jokic on the floor. The next highest total is Brooke Lopez of Milwaukee with 35 Think about that. He is a fantastic player. You know what's interesting about this, though, is that when it comes to Denver, people see this team being a regular season juggernaut. Then they get to the playoffs and you go, oh, what happened there? What happened? What happened to the Nuggets? Because it is about Jokic, but it's also about the rest of the team. Maybe it's their year. I doubt it. But usually what happens is, is that what Jokic does does not correlate to a deep run in the playoffs. These teams jockey for position so much in the regular season. We got to get that home court. We got to be the best team in the West, best team in the East. And then some teams run out of gas, like Denver. And that might happen again this season. So Joker's number two on my list. You know who's number three on my list? It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is going to win another MVP at some point in his career. He's just that good. If if Giannis isn't there, Milwaukee's just another basketball team in the NBA. You know, fourth on my list, Jason Tatum from Boston. Jason Tatum is a fantastic player. And Boston is going to be right up there competing with Milwaukee for the Eastern Conference Championship and maybe in the finals. They're a very well oiled team. Number five on my list is uh, Demontis Sabonis from the Kings. Man, so underrated. He's just, he is one of the reasons why that the Kings are in this position right now. He and De'Aaron Fox, terrific one-two punch. So bonus will be five on my list. But the number one guy on my list, and I have a ticket on him, is Joel Embiid. I said this in November. I said, yeah, I think it's his time. Because all you waited for for Joel is just to be healthy. That's all. So he's, he's mastered that. He plays a, a, his, the lion's share of the games for the 76ers. It ain't 82 because you're not going to get 82 as much anymore with stars. But Joel Embiid and his health has helped him. Here's some numbers that back this up. Again, this is from The Ringer. When Embiid is on the floor, only 30% of opposing shots come at the rim. Okay, so there's no defense in the NBA anymore? How about Joel Embiid? Only 30% of the opposing shots come at the rim. If he's not in the game, that frequency vaults up to 6.5 percentage points, one of the largest differences in the league this season. The Sixers also force a high rate of long twos with Embiid on the floor. I mean, think about that. The only minutes in which the Sixers yield a negative point differential is when Embiid sits and basically, everyone on the team has a higher effective field goal percentage when he's on the floor. So here's here's what's great. In crunch time, Embiid is the second best plus uh, player in the NBA. Jokic is fifth. Giannis is tied for 73rd. <laughs> so that will tell you all you need to know about how great Embiid is. People just look at points per game and wins because it's lazy, right? How many games y'all win? So how many points he score? Is he the leading scorer in the league? Then he should be the MVP. Nope. The MVP should be a, a player that can be able to help his team defensively, offensively, and just be one of the best players in the league. And there's a lot of talented players in the league. But to me, it is Joel Embiid. He is the MVP. But you know, it's interesting how hot this conversation is. It's hotter now than it has been in quite some time, isn't it? I remember a time where John Jackson, who wrote for the Chicago Sun-Times, and I'm thinking one other guy, maybe from Utah, stopped Michael Jordan from winning an MVP because he gave it to Karl Malone. I remember that controversy. It's like, Jordan could be the MVP every year, but that's not how it works in the league. If you get to be back-to-back-to-back MVPs, boy, you are a really, really special player because it moves around. It moves around, you know, after one or two, someone wins an MVP, wins it back-to-back. Now it moves around. I think it will move around to Joel Embiid. He will be the MVP. And again, I gave you his top five. So that's not bad, right? Number three. Jay Moore, I have not talked about this long form on the podcast, uh, but here we are, right? And this is Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark time. I don't know why some guys with small penises and fast cars feel the need to go after women's athletics in a negative way. I don't, I don't understand that, right? If you're into competition, if you're into sports, what, does it matter the gender of the player? Does it matter? I mean, for some it does. But for me, if I'm watching competition, I'm enjoying the competition, especially if I'm locked into a game that I want to see. Are we watching the majority of of male sports? Yes, of course I am. It's what I was raised by. But there's something interesting that's happening in women's college basketball and in the WNBA that's fascinating to me. Think about the numbers, the ratings. And I know this is not for everybody, but I just want to just say this out loud about in the women's Final Four, the most viewed women's Final Four semis 4.5 4.5 million people in ESPN history. 4.5 million people watched the uh, the Final Four in the Iowa um, South Carolina game. 5.5 million viewers. It peaked at 6.6. LSU in their game against the the Hokies. 3.4 million viewers. Second most viewed ever on ESPN Plus. And a lot of this came from Angel Reese versus Caitlin Clark. And what happened? Instead of just being able to look at both ladies and both teams and say, boy, you know what? They're young. They're defiant. They're in everyone's face. They want you to know that, hey, we're here. No. What happened? It became Angel Reese tried to snatch the purse from Caitlin Clark. That's what it came down to. Oh, I can't believe what that Angel Reese did. And of course... With a little bit of hindsight and maybe a little research, you see Caitlin Clark in the face of other women when she's playing basketball as well. And I had no problem with that. You know, I was watching that, right? Because I remember at the, the ESPN 1000 25th anniversary. It's funny. Moore, I didn't tell you this. There was uh, this one lady that came up to me. She was an Iowa Hawkeyes fan. And she, she came to me and said, so what do you think of our chances? And she had an Iowa thing on. I'm like you and McCaffrey have been eliminated for a while. What do you mean what's your chances? And she said, no, the women's team. I said, oh, oh, the women's team. Well, I know who Caitlin Clark is because she is, uh, if if not the best, definitely the second best player in college, women's college basketball. I think she might be the best based on how she plays. She's amazing, there's no doubt. Uh, she's really come to the forefront. And I said, you have a good shot. I said, you have a good, as good a shot as – most teams not named South Carolina. <laughs> she didn't like that comment because South Carolina has been terrific, right? I guess my whole point is, is that Caitlin Clark has turned heads and she should because she is a dead eye shooter and she is a competitor. And you know what she was doing? She was telling people, you can't see me doing this whole thing, right? And, and, and Angel Reese, as LSU one, did the same thing. <gasps> Angel Reese can't do that. How dare she do that? Wait a minute. They're both competitors. They're both young and defiant. They both, and they also, both of them, raise the bar as far as women's basketball is concerned, the awareness of, of, of the games. So I, I just, I don't believe in the outrage of the day, which probably should be a segment, Jay Moore. It probably should be a segment that we should do on our Cap and Jay hood morning show. And that the outrage of the day, the fake outrage of the day, because that's exactly what it was. It's just a complete fake outrage. Oh, my God. I can't believe what, what Angel, Angel Reese, she's a real one. That is for sure. But so is Caitlin Clark in her own different way. One last thing about this. I'm happy that the numbers were, were fantastic and they continue to raise. Same thing in the WNBA. You get the right matchup, people are watching, which is great. It's great for sports. But Dr. Jill Biden who believe that this is almost like Little League where the winners and losers should all get dilly bars just for competing is nonsense. She'll learn. It's like that would be something that's never happened in the history of the White House, as far as I could tell. Just bringing the winning team and the losing team. Dr. Biden will learn, like, this is not how we do things. (laughs) It's the winners, Right? You, know, you just don't give Iowa the opportunity to go to the White House for being losers. LSU deserves that opportunity, and so they're going to be there at some point at the White House to be congratulated. But congratulations to the women. The numbers are great, and the action is even better. And I'm not telling you how to fan, and I'm not telling you what you should watch, but I'm just telling, for me, as a hoop head, I'm watching, and I'm interested. We are presented by Manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, use the promo code HOOD and save 20%. All right, Darnell Mayberry covers the Chicago Bulls like a blanket for TheAthletic.com. He joins us right now on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Darnell, uh, who is the most interesting Bull player that you've covered this season?
1: I think it's DeMar DeRozan. Um, Just between his talent... His veteran leadership, his metaphors and analogies, crazy, wacky sayings and phrases that he gives us, uh, and just the calm and, and cool presence that he brings to the box, to that team—it's uh, it, just been fun to watch him. It's been fun to cover him uh, for the, these last two seasons and uh, and see how he has kind of exploded back onto the scene and reestablished himself as one of the, the premier scorers. In this.
0: It's interesting to take a look at the overarching uh, viewpoint of the NBA, the top players, top 30, top 40, top 50. Some would say that DeRozan all around is a better player than Zach Levine. Would you agree with that? Ooh, um, I
1: think the, the deficiency that, that both of them have is consistent defense, and so that's a big knock uh, in my book for both of them. Um, you're evaluating them as overall players just talking about scores, I mean I like the, the versatility that, that Zach can give you um, in terms of the three point shot. And and if DeRozan had that, I would go DeRozan all day long because I think he's more polished, but but Zach I think is is, is more lethal because of his overall
0: versatility. Some that cover the team day to day and also those nationally, they're just kinda helicopter in look at the Bulls' issues and their underachievement and just say, well, if Lonzo Ball was here, the team would be different. If Lonzo Ball was relatively healthy, where would the Bulls be in the hierarchy of the East? Higher than 10th. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's uh, all right. Well, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> well, thanks for that. I mean... Yeah, well, they won't, they won't be in the top
1: four. I don't think, I don't think they're, they're cracking the top four. Yes. Uh, but maybe fifth or sixth. I think they're probably right there around... Those types of teams, uh, which is where we thought they would be coming into the season before Lonzo Ball got hurt. So I don't think anything would have changed with that. Uh, and that's actually a great question, Jonathan, because you know, looking back you know, five, six, seven months later, it is good to have perspective that if Lonzo Ball was healthy, this team probably is exactly who they they thought they would be, and they have an opportunity to build and grow more from here. But but such is the case, Lonzo Ball is not here.
0: You know, it's time for them to figure out a plan B. So it sounds like Cleveland or New York—they'd be that good. The Bulls would they a, a lead guard that can make um, DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic better?
1: Yeah, and, and not in the same way as a uh, uh, Jalen Brunson or a Donovan Mitchell, care, uh, not care, subvert, uh, uh, Darius Garland type, but mm-hmm. but in a different way. You know, they have the Bulls, they have their their premier scores, Zach exactly. Levine, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, at times Nikola Vucevic, but Lonzo did so much as a connector uh, that brought everyone together. But you know, beyond Lonzo, I look at some of those young guys: IO Kobe, White, Patrick Williams. This is the time for these three guys to step step up. And you know, Derek Jones is another one that I'd go into that that group. Uh, you know, who's been relied on for some minutes uh, and, and has excelled and played well this season. So, uh, in Lonzo Ball's absence, there's been opportunities for others to, to, to step up and. Some of
0: them have. Darnell, I believe that this is the most difficult time in Billy Donovan's career as a head coach. I mean, we saw what he did at Florida. Oklahoma City, there was talent there, and now with this Bulls team. So can is, is there any way for you to look at Billy Donovan, Oklahoma City and with the Bulls? What's the difference in Billy to you? I think he is less stressed or anxious. Perhaps,
1: you know, when you come into any new job, any new industry, you want to really get it right, improve yourself, and establish yourself. I think he felt that pressure, especially with such a loaded team at Oklahoma City. Uh, You know, that was a win-now situation. And I think he can let his hair down a little bit here in Chicago, Um, even though, you know, the expectation is still to win. You know The expectation is not a championship like it was certainly his first season in Oklahoma City and then his last four. uh, That expectation changed. Uh, he still had an MVP level player in Russell Westbrook that uh, he really had a lot of uh, mentor and molding uh, with in terms of how he coached him. So that's not the same level of responsibility that I think he has here in Chicago, and and the the challenge for him now is I think trying to build up this this group and this culture uh, bigger than the group uh, into
0: into a winner. Darnell, this does not feel like Steven Silas, a young Steven Silas, or Dwayne Casey with Detroit. It feels like the key phrase that you use there is like Billy letting his, his hair down to the point where I don't think that he thinks about his job security because I think that when we saw the roster coming into the season, I said the Bulls need more shooting. I know they not, they might be in a little bit of a mediocre box here. But I always thought they needed more shooting. But Billy comes across in a lot of press conferences as if yeah, I'm going to be the man for at least a few more years here. I don't feel like my job's in jeopardy. Do you feel the same, that kind of confidence?
1: I do, and the reason is the, the relationship that he holds with the front office, to tourist kind of shoulders Mark Eversley. Uh, and I think that beyond that, I believe Michael Reinstorf and even Jerry Reinstorf. So uh, I think that those relationships are meaningful to all of those men i just named and uh, they have a working environment and atmosphere that they all appreciate and, and enjoy uh, the company of each other and working together every day so uh, just from that standpoint you know i think it's bigger for them than x's and o's or wins and losses when they have someone who they feel fits their culture and their environment
0: Darnell, was there a, a game or a slew of games that you covered in which you thought, okay, this is who the Bulls are, where they can't win more than three games in a row? They they are losing to teams that are tanking or teams that are being the lottery. Is there a certain point in the season you go, this is not going to get any better than maybe uh, above 500 or under 500?
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the point in the season for me was, <laughs> I actually wrote about it at the Athletic yesterday. I find it there now, but they had those chances that you mentioned to extend beyond the three-game winning streak, and they had five chances, and each of those games they were blasted in the fourth game, uh, and I think they lost by an average of 15.8 points, so you lose, you have a chance to, to build on your momentum, and each time you lose by an average of 16 points. I mean, that's just almost unheard of you know, kind of an example of the, the, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team this season, uh, one or two games, I guess, that stood out for me were those Indiana games where they blew 20-point leads. Uh, the second one, really, they they knew what happened the first time and then they go back there and let it happen again. Uh, and I forgot which one. Uh, the Charlotte game followed one of those Pacers games and they go out to Charlotte and, and just lay an egg. And I, that's what I really just thought. You know, this team is is serious about being a playoff contender.
0: Uh, give us something about the Bulls that you would think that many Bulls fans would be surprised about. Maybe a player, organizational philosophy. Give us something that you think that we'd be surprised to hear.
1: I'd have to think about that one, Jonathan. Um, it's a good question, uh, but on the spot, I, I don't probably don't have an answer for you uh, right now. I am actually trying to piece together something about the little quirky things that I've seen. I don't think that's what you're asking, but there's a lot of quirky things I've seen in the locker room. We were uh, pushed out of the locker room because of the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, for a couple seasons there. And then now being back in, I just, you know, thankful that we're able to share with uh, the audience and, and Bulls fans some of the color and behind the scenes things that, that, that uh, I, I've seen and witnessed. I, I wrote one story earlier this season about how Patrick Williams is, is enjoying a breakthrough that you don't see. And that's the way he's, talking trash back to DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and some of the older guys. He's no longer the quiet, you know, young player that uh, we grew to know him as. You know, he's coming out of his shell, and I correlated that to some of the improvements that he's making on the court this season, the second half of the season especially. So little things like that you get to, to experience and witness in the locker room on a day-to-day basis, and that's pretty
0: cool. I asked you that question because, you know, for a team that's just, you know – can't get over, can't get past a three-game winning streak. It just, the team color should just be beige. There's nothing really <laughs> interesting about the Bulls. You can use that line if you'd like. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it shouldn't be red and white. It should be beige because there's no drama, which I'm all for. Uh, relatively healthy, you know, as far as teams, a lot of players like to sit out and back-to-backs. The Bulls relatively healthy for the most part. And it's just kind of just been just um, – a chore at times to watch this team try to be able to get some momentum and so that's that's why i asked because i think bulls fans like to know more about this team outside of the points per game and, and they back, whether they they can win think, on a given you know, night work, there's nothing that really stands out about this transition
1: group. to that because you know they, they, this continuity thing just isn't it and you are gonna see another 500 500 season again next season perhaps if you know, and this is, as you said, with a relatively healthy season. Mm-hmm. Nikola Vucic played all 82. Patrick Williams played all 82. Uh, Zach started off the season with some bumps and bruises and trying to overcome that knee surgery, but you know, he, he really picked it up after the All-Star break. DeRozan's been, for the most part, available. So uh, yeah. this was as healthy as they're probably going to be. Uh, DeLonzo Alonzo Ball situation is what it is. Uh, but at some point, you have to move on from that. I, I give them credit for going out and signing Patrick Beverly. I think he uh, injected this team with some energy and some life that they sorely needed. 14-9 and, and nine after the All-Star break is certainly nothing to, uh, to sneeze at. So you got to give him a lot of credit for the direction that he's helped this, take this Bulls team. But you know, this offseason, to me, Jonathan, is, is going to be pivotal. Regardless of what happens in this play-in tournament and if they make the postseason, uh, this is going to be a pivotal offseason, and they have to uh, make changes if they truly want to contend.
0: Darnell, as always, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you having me. Have a great week. Darnell, thanks, man. Great stuff as always. No
1: problem, Jonathan.
0: Take care. We thank you for listening to our podcast, The Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood Basketball Podcast. And don't forget, all throughout the playoffs, we will continue to pop up. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. It's uh, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll never miss an episode because I cannot wait. As someone who loves hoops, I cannot wait for the NBA playoffs to get underway. And, of course, if the Bulls are still around, we'll still be talking about them. They're going to be Toronto, at least I think. For Jay Moore, I'm Jay Hood. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood podcast. So long, everybody.